Francais bonjour. This is At the Edge of Canada with TJ Phillips bringing you live check-ins with all the major players in the Indigenous intellectual community throughout southern Manitoba and across the country. This week's show, we wrap up our Inuit showcase by checking in with Enoch graphic artist Aviak Johnson. She's out in Algonquin Territory, that's Ottawa, where she works in student support with Inuit learners. And we talk about student support methods, reading engagement, didacticism of literature, and all of the teachings, Inuit cultural history, and lessons that are in her book, the newest book, nominated for a Governor General Award, nominated for a Bird Award. That's Those Who Run in the Sky. Aviak is a fierce defender of Inuit history, land claim, seal hunting rights, and one of the strongest voices in the indigenous literary community. It's a fantastic way to wrap up our first installment of the second season. That is the fall semester of 2017. We'll be back next semester with a whole new slate of interviews and check-ins with all the major players in the indigenous intellectual community. But enjoy this. We caught up with Aviak Johnson a couple of months ago, around the time things were kind of going on with the Edmonton Football Club name here in Winnipeg, to talk about all matters of Inuit literature. This is Aviak Johnson on At the Edge of Canada. It's Trevor from At the Edge of Canada. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, where am I? Where am I reaching you? I'm in Ottawa at work. <laughs> oh, you're at work. What do you do? What do you do for a day job? I work at a college for Inuit youth. Oh, cool. It's called Nunavut Siwuniksavut. It's a really cool program. It's eight months long. Students learn about Inuit history and Inuit contemporary issues. And it's also like college prep, so they get a lot of basic skills in like post-secondary setting, and then uh, they get credits for college and university, so they can go on to other post-secondary with credits already. I work in student support as well, uh, and I work with graduate students, uh, and I find that um, in doing in doing that work, you just you, you you figure out you know how hostile classrooms can be for Indigenous learners and. I bet that's it's really supportive to have that environment for Inuit learners. Yeah, our program is very different from a lot of post-secondary institutions because we always create really good relationships with our students. Like mm-hmm. we only accept 60 students a year. Oh, really? And so we have a really good relationship with them and we're like all up in their business every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best so, way to do it, yeah. Yeah, so they have a they a lot of our students end up being really successful that's really awesome that's that's amazing to hear and whereabouts in the north do you get most of your students from primarily from nunavut 
there's like three different regions in Nunavut, so we get funding from there. So uh, we get a lot from Baffin and from the like central Nunavut, Kivadla. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we get a few from the western part of Nunavut called Katimut. But we also, sometimes we get students from Labrador and sometimes from Northwest Territories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's, if our students are, or sometimes we also get like urban Inuit, like so in, Inuit who grew up in Ottawa or somewhere in the South. Okay. Yeah. I'm doing a bit of a showcase of Inuit writing and I interviewed Ken Harper about his book, Thou Shall Not Do No Murder, and it's mm-hmm. about a murder up in the north back in the 1920s. And, yeah. I, and I told him that I was going to be interviewing you, and he told me a story about how his daughter is named after you. Yeah. Um, do you, can you tell me your version of that story? Well, um, my name's Greenlandic, so Aviak is a, it's a traditionally a boy's name. In Greenland, oh, but okay. um, it became a woman's name through the years. And then Ken Harper's book, I Want My Father's Body, okay, or Give Me My Father's Body, it's about this young Greenlandic guy whose father died in, in a museum and his bones were like put on display. One of the girls in that story, her name's Avia, uh, and I think Ken Harper named his daughter after that in that um in that book. Okay. But when my mom was pregnant with me, she was in Greenland and the girl that would babysit my sister, her name was Avia. <laughs> so my mom <laughs> named me after that girl. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I I think it's like a relatively popular name in Greenland. Mm-hmm. I I've been to Greenland once and I think the first person I met when I got on land was uh, a girl named Avia. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually such a cool story. I was, I should have known that when I started to talk to uh, writers from the north and uh, Enochs up there that eventually um, some communities and relationships would collide. I didn't realize it would be right off the bat like that. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I wanted to. So I'm I'm really happy you came on the show today because I want to talk to you about those who run in the sky. Your latest book uh, for young adult uh, fiction that's just getting so much praise. It's nominated for Burt Award, the Governor General Award. And mm-hmm. uh, the first question I want to ask you is, um, well, actually, it's not a question. It's more of a it's more of a compliment. Uh, I love your epigraphs at the beginning. Uh, your epigraph game is very solid, and it reads for Marley. You deserve the world, but all I have to offer you is this book. And that's like the sweetest thing ever. So can you tell me who Marley is and why you wrote that? Um, Marley's my best friend. And she last year, her mom passed away. I was already going to dedicate it to Marley because she helped me so much with editing and like with story development and all that. So I was already going to do dedicated to her but after her mom died i felt like she deserved so much because she also lost her dad when she was a teenager so i i really think she deserves so much in this world and all i had was her name in my book forever so (laughs) i that's how i dedicated it to her 
That's an incredibly sweet story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, the other epigraph is, and for indigenous youth everywhere, you deserve a story where you can be the main character. And that's incredibly sweet in and of itself as well. Tell me about why you wrote that. I grew up reading books like Harry Potter. And like a lot of the books I read were from the UK. Mm-hmm. And they're amazing books and I loved them. But it took me a while to realize that I wasn't anywhere in those stories. Like, I they didn't have indigenous people in those stories mm-hmm. very rarely. And if they did, it was very, like, wrong. Like, the wrong, like, it wasn't a accurate representation of right. indigenous people. Especially of Inuit, I find Inuit, there's not a lot known, and we're often called Eskimos in literature. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I wanted young Inuit like myself who love reading but can never relate too much to the stories. It's really cool because it's it's all in Inuit legends and traditional lifestyle. A lot of our youth are still very in touch with that, and a lot of them aren't. But it, I find I just wanted to include both sides. You mentioned in a lot of other media you've done around those who run in the sky that you really credit your writing ability to being a voracious and avid reader. So uh, you mentioned, I've read some media where you've mentioned Stephen King as a current influence right now that you've been reading. Um, Who are you reading right now and and who's inspiring you in the literary world? Um, So I I just finished a Stephen King uh, collection of short stories, which I really loved. And it was my, it's actually like my first real, um, like my first time finishing a Stephen King book. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I've started a lot, but that was my first time. <laughs> yeah, me <I> too. Actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was my first time actually finishing one, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's Hearts in, Hearts in Atlantis, okay. um, which was great. And I'm also currently reading um, Queen of Shadows by Sarah J. Moss. Okay. And uh, it's like high fantasy, young adult in a world where there's magic and it's kind of like Game of Thrones and it's really gory. <laughs> so I'm sure my chapters while I'm reading this are going to be more gory. <laughs> <laughs> For me, like it, reading, my family is called a book club because it's so popular. Like me and my, <laughs> we sit around dinner talking about books all the time. And whenever we have guests, they're like, I remember one of my sister's friends just saying, did I join a book club? So, <laughs> I mean, that's why I, I'm so, like, so big in literature because <laughs> I grew up talking about books all the time with my family. Uh, so before we dig into the book and the story of, is it, and is this how you say it, Piturnik? Piturnik. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. There's a lot there's a lot going on there that I don't think my tongue can do. <laughs> That's I can what's it can I say P2? Is that shorter? How do you how do you say the oh, yeah. short version? P2, yeah. P2. Okay, I'll say P2 because I don't think I can do yeah. the full one. Um he he's this is a story of a he's a story of a young hunter who's destined to become a shaman and then he gets lost in the spirit world and, and before we dig into that I gotta 
I, I got a one more political question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but it's kind of the buzz around here in Winnipeg right now. There's a big football game happening on Sunday between Winnipeg oh. and Edmonton, and our mayor just spoke out about the name of the Edmonton Football Club and it being you know woefully inappropriate for this day and age. As an as an Enoch woman, what do you what do you feel about this this conversation? I mean. <laughs> I don't pay attention to sports, but I. It's funny because I do think the name should change. Like, yeah, I think it's only appropriate if Inuit call each other Eskimos. Hmm. When I was a kid, I used to think it was cool that there was a team called the Eskimos, mm-hmm. like Edmonton Eskimos, because that was like, oh, that's what we're called. But but now that I'm older, I'm like, why would they be called that? That doesn't make sense. I do think it should be changed. <laughs> yeah, and Nate and, and Nathan Obed has said the same thing, right? The, the, he's spoken out against the name as well, hasn't he? And, you know, it's generally my opinion is that when a group of people start to say, hey, we don't like this, then maybe it's time to make a change. Yeah. And I'm from Edmonton, and I grew up watching the Canadian Football League. And, um, you know, I don't have any affiliation to the name. I don't, I don't, um, I don't have any objection if it's changed. I, in fact, think it should be changed to something fun like the Elegant Elks or something. That sounds way more cool. Yeah. 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 So uh, uh, P2 is a hunter. He's a young hunter. He's a great hunter. And here's the thing I know when you start to hear stories about hunters who are destined to become shamans or they have a they have a they, they have a destiny to be fulfilled as being a medicine person of some kind. And any story I ever heard. I know that they're going to get lost and they're going to get lost for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> so it, why, why is it so important that these guys got to go and get lost out there? What, 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 what are they trying to learn? Like, I, I mean, by the end of the book, I know, I think I got a sense of what, what needed to be learned. There's a whole lot of lessons, but in your mind, like what's the most important thing for, for PT to learn as he gets, as he gets lost out, out there in the fog? One of the, Big important lessons I had through my life is learning how to be comfortable with myself. Mm, yeah. And I think in order to gain his full confidence as a shaman and just as a human being, yeah. Pitu like really learns that when he's lost. And I think that's probably common in a lot of things is just being learning to become comfortable with oneself. And Pitu happens to not be alone for a lot of it <laughs> yeah but he really learns how to uh kind of think his way through stuff and yeah. use his mind and his newfound abilities to kind of overcome a lot of his challenges yeah yeah you're right he does get a ton of help from a bunch of very different characters and and even one very classic sort of uh, sur- surly elder shaman <laughs> who yeah. who helps him. That's Turnuk, right? Is that how you say? How do you say his name? <laughs> the best part of this is just you <laughs> telling me how to say all these names. Um, <laughs> okay, and how do you say Pitu's uh, love interest, his 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 future partner? How do you say her name? Saima. Saima. Yeah. Okay, so here's the question I had for you about Saima: is that I think it's very clear that. Saima is just like messing with P2's energies in so many different ways and like really destabilizing him. Um, is What are the stories around like the strength and energy of Enoch women just to like mess with hunters like that? 
Uh, <laughs> I don't really know how to answer because I am <laughs> a Inukuma. <laughs> yeah, so you, you know. You know exactly what you can do. Yeah. <laughs> The relationships between, like, Inuit men and Inuit women back in the day, like, they relied so heavily on each other. Yeah. And, you know, it, it used to, like, the classic thing in Western stories is, like, the men provide for the women and the women uh, can't look after themselves or they need a husband. But really, it was um, a husband needed a wife in Inuit society because they had to they like uh, Inuit men did a lot of work mm -hmm. but Inuit women like did everything else mm -hmm. kind of thing like they they looked after the families they made all the clothing they they did all this stuff and then um they also a lot of the time had really good senses of humor and uh they a lot of the time like women had just as high or a higher standing in the community mm -hmm. and Saima is really like a depiction of a woman who uh likes to have fun and knows that she's gonna be like one of the more well known type of people so she was gonna have fun with it <laughs> <laughs> Well, the the thing to me is 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 Simon's like just messing up poor P two, you know, every which way. He's jealous of her looking at anyone. Um, when naturally he's a fairly easygoing guy that way. Um, he she she disorients his senses to the point where part of the reason he gets lost is because he's thinking about her and trying to get back home to her uh, mm -hmm. when he goes out to hunt. Um, I found it uh, an incredibly powerful teaching lesson about you know about relationship building about healthy relationship building emotionally for like young you know inuit men you know basically mm -hmm. like you know you got to take care of yourself and and be a strong person for for um an, in, an inuit woman especially a mm -hmm. strong one who's gonna who's gonna test yeah. you <laughs> you know i i thought i yeah. thought i was like that's so true that's like basically every indigenous woman i've ever met <laughs> they just, yeah and just you know they they keep me honest. They keep me focused on what I need to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it, it's a it's an incredibly lush book full of uh, Inuit culture, teaching, story, um, and elements. The, the mm -hmm. texture is so rich, and and I mean it's a testament to you being such a traditional person yourself. And I'm just, I guess, I think my question is is you know how much of this story is is a teaching story, and how much of it is a uh, is is a is an entertaining story like did you think about that kind of thing or or is it just a product of you know telling a, a story telling an inuit story and, and and that's what you get you get some teaching you get some you get some entertainment and you get some magic and you get some you get some uh um magical storms in the north i think i wrote it mostly to be entertaining yeah but throughout writing it i realized i was putting like a mess well i think it was after i wrote it i was like there's a message and it's like about like i said earlier being comfortable with yourself yeah, yeah. and yeah for the most part it was just to be something that would have entertained me when i was uh 15 years old <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's really cool
Uh, a couple of weekends ago, I saw Althea, and you can help me with this name too, Ar- Arnakuk Baril. How do you say her name? Yeah. Alicia Angdakuk Baril. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Alethea's, I saw Alethea's, uh documentary, Angry Enoch, and yeah. at a social justice film festival here at the University of Winnipeg, and it was um, incredibly moving story about the resilience of Inuit uh, seal hunters and families that are affected by the seal hunts, and which is pretty much all the families in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that documentary is meant to, to those communities? Uh, and you're fr- you're originally from uh, Glulik, yeah, yeah. And what is that? What is that documentary meant for your community and your region? Well, seal hunting in my community was such a big thing. Uh, and in my family too, because uh, my my dad would take us seal hunting all the time, and my dad worked at the local grocery store, and he was uh, every spring we would have a group, um, like uh, the whole all the staff from the store, we would all go hunting together on a for a seal, mm-hmm. and it it creates like a really good bond. To that experience of hunting, um, but it was it wasn't until I was in college that I realized how much the ban, like the seal ban and mm-hmm. all that, has affected our communities. It's been so such a struggle to get the seal hunting industry recognized, and I'm I really appreciate Alicia and. I know her, and I gave her a copy of this book and said, uh, I wrote in it saying, your next movie, with a question mark. (laughs) And (laughs) I really appreciate all the hard work she's done. I'm actually a part of one of the protests that she filmed in the... the, Oh, really? In Angry Inuk, yeah. And it's educated me a lot, and I'm so thankful for how much it's educating the rest of the world. That's awesome. I didn't know you were in that way. What were you doing? You were just you were a protester. Yeah, one of there there was the protest in Toronto. Yeah. Um, where the the I think it was IFA. They uh, they had prepared, they were having a protest about the seal hunt, and then we went there as a counter protest. Oh yeah, yeah. They they ended up not showing up. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was I was in that group. Oh okay. Uh, yeah, she had the Nunavut students there. Yeah. And I was a student at the time. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> um, I wrote her uh, a fan letter thanking her for that documentary and inspiring me mm-hmm. to want to shoot a documentary about the Métis Nation and and fishing. So, uh, uh, just like incredibly enamored with her and that film, and that's so cool that you're in that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, uh, Aviak. Uh, Those who run in the sky out of uh, Inhabit Media, it's out now. It came out in the spring. It's just getting all kinds of love. It's a really great story about a about a young hunter, and I just enjoyed it so immensely. Enjoy talking to you. Thank you, and everything you do in the name of Indigenous literature, uh, Indigenous student support, uh, Inuit culture, Inuit storytelling, and being the fierce Inuk woman you are. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. 
we interrupt the end of At the Edge of Canada to bring you a live headline news update from the leader in Indigenous news, broadcasting from a nest in the rafters of Portage Place Mall in downtown Winnipeg. It's Tim Fontaine, head correspondent of Walking Eagle News. From Walking Eagle News World Headquarters, here are the stories making headlines in Indigenous country right now. On the heels of a controversial decision about a destructive dam project, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has challenged British Columbia Premier John Horgan to a disappoint-off. A popular newspaper columnist has stirred up controversy once again by saying Canadians should do the opposite of whatever Indigenous peoples want. And Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau has worked out a deal with the provinces that sees First Nations get 0% of legalized pot tax revenues. You'll find those stories and more at walkingeaglenews.com. Journalism so profoundly Indigenous, everywhere we step becomes a reserve. Thank you, Walking Eagle News, for that update. Hard-hitting news at the home for Indigenous News today. Make sure you follow Tim at The Eagleist on Twitter and check out walkingeaglenews.com. Absolutely killing it. That's it for 2017 from At The Edge of Canada. We'll be back next year, January 8th, with University of Manitoba, University of Winnipeg, Master's Student in Peace and Conflict Studies, Kathleen Wilson. Until then, have a great holiday, everyone. Happy solstice, and we'll see you next year. At the Edge of Canada is produced at the UMFM studios on the University of Manitoba campus in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The University of Manitoba is situated on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the OJ Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. You can get all updated podcasts and live streams for At the Edge of Canada at umfm.com, or you can listen to us live on the UMFM app. The lead track is Nahewak Starlight. And if you like what you hear from me, you can follow me on Twitter at T-Fillers. Up next, your campus today.